Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We know the story has been, the narrative teaches us that this this young man went to his father and said, I want my inheritance now before you're dead. You're dead to me. And he went and he wasted it on wild living, the scriptures say. And then he was, he, he ended up, a famine hits, hits the land, man, all destruction comes. And he's, he's so down on the low of lows that he's farming pigs for a living. And he, he was so hungry and he was so broke that he saw that even their food looked good to him. So it says this in verse 17 that when he finally came to his senses, He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He had this speech well rehearsed in his mind as he headed home. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And he was filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father said to his servants, verse 22, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. For we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost And now he is found. So let the party begin. Amen. Aren't you glad that God threw a party for you when he got home? He didn't, he didn't say, go out and prepare the, the, the spanking paddle. Go out and get the, right, go out and get me some switches. So it's boys come home. We're going to straighten them out. No, 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 no. It says, and we talked about this last week that he shows up and he says, call the finest robe. Bring the finest robe. And we know last week we talked about that, how the, how the servants went into the house and they found the robe of the father and they clothed the son with the robe of the father, the royal robe of righteousness. And this week we're going to talk about that ring that he put on his finger that he that when he puts this ring on his finger that that, that it is very significant you know, rings mean a lot of different things in different cultures. In our culture, it means that we're committed till death do us part, right? Right? Not until we're not compatible anymore, because, I mean, you know, you weren't compatible to begin with. And so, but we are saying, hey, we're committed to this thing for the long haul. Man, I love doing weddings. We talk about, you know, rings are a circle because they're endless and they're made with, with precious, uh, precious materials and they're rare and they're not cheap and common. So there's always great things about rings that we can talk about. But in this culture, a a ring meant a lot of different things. And a couple of things that it meant is it speaks of the identity and the rights into the royal family. And so when he put this ring on his finger, he was saying, I'm reinstating your sonship. I'm re- reinstating your identity and your rights as a child of God. And many times this ring would have uh, maybe a family crest on it. It would be like a signet ring. So if they were sending off a letter, they would seal that letter with wax and they would mark it with that ring to say this this seal belongs to the family. And basically it was saying that whoever wears this ring has honor and dignity. And so the, the son, by giving the son this ring, he was saying, I trust you again. I trust you again. And so the first thing, and that's what we're going to talk about today, those two things, our identity and our rights 
as royal family. Number one, the, the, the ring speaks of our identity. Everybody say, who I am. The ring speaks of who you are. See, you are who you are because, number one, you believe. Right? You believe. And we talked about this last week. John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who received him, to those who believed. Come on. It all starts in believing in his name. He gave them the right. We talked about this last week. Right, the word right there is the Greek word exousia, which means governmental authority. You have a governmental authority to be a child of God. It's sealed in the courts of heaven. You are a child of God. So God clothed you with this. You weren't a child before. Come on. Everybody, whoa, the media, you know, we're all children of God. No, yet. You have to come to Jesus, receive him, and believe to become a child of God. So we believe. It speaks of our identity, and it all starts with believing. And because we believe, we belong. We belong. Man, we all want to belong. Right? We do things, if you remember when you were in school, you wanted to be a part, you belong to this group, or you belong to that group, whoever you hung out with. But in the kingdom, we belong to the royal family. Come on, we belong to the king of glory. You don't belong to you. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the culture. You belong to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it says that he set his seal of ownership on us. It's like that wax seal that he marked, right? And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So you belong to God. Not because you, you did a lot of great things in your life, but because you believed. And because you believe, you belong. And listen, when you belong, it, it changes the way we see ourselves. When you, when you realize that you belong to God, it's a game changer, man. Um, we, we realize that we are sons and daughters of the royal family. A couple of weeks ago, I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I didn't, I didn't really pay much attention to it. All the women were like freaking out. There was a royal wedding. And it was like, oh my goodness, you would think Jesus came back the way people were posting about it and people crying and, you know, streaming on Facebook and CNN and everything else. And everybody's up in arms about this royal wedding. Beloved, beloved, you are part of a royal family. Not over some little little nation on the earth. No, no, no. Over the nations of the earth. Hey, listen. Over the planets of the universe, the king, the ruler of it all. You're part of his royal family. You're his son. You're his prince. You're his daughter. You're his princess. It's who you belong to. So when you can see yourself that way, it's a game changer. It's who you are. It doesn't mean that you're prideful and arrogant. No, no, no. You're, you're humbled because you're grateful that he brought you in. But it, so it changes the way we see ourselves, but it also changes the way we carry ourselves. That we carry ourselves with a confidence and a security. You don't have to be insecure. Come on. Your identity isn't, isn't wrapped up in how many people like you or how many friends you have or how much money or how much money you don't have or do have in the bank. Come on. Or how many, how many people chant your name? No, no, no. You belong to God. And there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater on the earth than that. We belong. Number three, we become. We become. And because, listen, because you are a son, because you are a daughter, you become like the father. Now, Jesus is not the father, okay? Jesus and the father are separate. There's, there's, there's one what is God, but there's three who's in the what. You guys tracking with me? So one what, 
God. Three who's. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So Jesus is not the Father. However, he represents the Father, and he acts like Dad. He emulates the Father. Check this out. John chapter 14. Thomas said to him, now the disciples were freaking out because Jesus is like, I'm going away. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Don't freak out. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'll still be with you, but up inside of you instead of like among you. And they're like, oh, Lord, don't go away. Don't go away. We want Jesus. You know, yes, believers today, they're like, oh, if I could just be alive when Jesus is. Jesus is alive. And so, and, and uh, it says this in John chapter 14 because they were freaking out. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. How I many know that Jesus is the way? He's not a way. He's the way to the Father. Because him and the Father are one in unison. All right. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. So listen, Jesus isn't just the way to, the way to get to the Father to go to heaven. Jesus is the way to know the Father on the earth. Right? Okay, so listen. He says, if you, if, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. For now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So people are like, well, you can never see God. Have you seen Jesus? There you go. And Philip answered, Lord, <laughs> show us the Father, and that will be enough. That's all we'll need. Just show us the Father. And he's like, did you not just hear what I said? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show me the Father? If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And listen, if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you have a relationship with the Father, right? Come on, because number four, we behold. Listen, you become... Like that which we, you behold, right? We talked about this several weeks ago. You become like who you behold. So Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, God, are sitting there for eternity, past, right? Billions and billions of years is like a millisecond, eternity past. Billions of years gazing at one another, conversing, talking, right? Way before the earth is ever formed. So of course Jesus looks like the Father. He beheld the Father for Billions of years. And billions. Could just say it all day. Yeah, whatever the next number is. Trillions, I guess. Billions and billions. All right. So we become and we behold. Those two things work together because you can only become like that which you behold. See, some of you are trying to know God, but you're not beholding him. And I'm, listen, I'm not just talking about reading a Bible. Because you can read the Holy Spirit and just read it like data. I mean, read the Holy Spirit. Read the Bible without the Holy Spirit like it's data, and it won't change you. Right? Remember Jesus talked about that? He said, you know, the Word of God falls on bad ground and it doesn't produce. Right? So you've got to behold Him. You've got to gaze at Him through the Scriptures through intimacy, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through worship, through fellowship. Come on. So we behold him, and you become like that which you behold. So, of course, Jesus looked like the Father. So as we develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we begin to look like the Father. Y'all all right? And then number five, we behave. 
we behave. Why do you behave the way that you behave? Well, first of all, it's in your nature. It's in your nature, right? I act the way, sometimes I look in the, in the mirror and I'm like, whoa, I kind of look like my dad right there. You ever done that? That sounds like something my dad would say. I mean, have ever said that before? Especially after you get like past 30, right? When you're in your 20s, you're like, oh my gosh, right? And then you get in your 30s, you're like, that's pretty cool. That was actually pretty awesome. I didn't know he was awesome until I got like past my 20s, but now I think he's pretty awesome, right? That's kind of the way it works. Why? Because it's in your nature. Something's going to you. So I saw this picture of my granddad, Sammy Washington Brown. He was a, we got that picture, the first one there. Sammy Washington Brown. I believe he was the second. They're not really sure the year he was born. I mean, this is, you know, back in the day, things were just crazy. Now, they think he was 79 years old in this picture. 79. They think he was. They knew his birth, his, his day, but they didn't know the year. Now, my granddad was a, was a coal miner by trade, but he also was a preacher. So he would, he would preach at churches from time to time. Sometimes he would take, take over churches for a period of time. My dad, my dad, I was talking to my dad this week, and he said, man, your granddad was a man of the word. He's like, sometimes when I hear you preach, I, th- I think of my dad. And I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. And, then, and so about a year ago, one of my cousins sent me one of the Bibles that he used to preach out of. And so I have it in my office. It's awesome. I should have brought it in here. So I have this kind of legacy. My dad wasn't a preacher, but, but he, he has always served like in, in a role in, in church and and those type of things. But when I saw this picture of my granddad, I was like, man, that's such a cool picture. You know, when you see these old pictures. And uh, I noticed something about that picture. You see his hand right there? You see that? He's got something in his hand. And I saw that picture, I was like, Poof. right, mind blown. Why? You're thinking, why, why does that blow your mind? Well, because oftentimes after I eat a meal or like I dry my hands off or something, I, I look down and I realize that there's been a napkin in my hand. And I, I don't, it, it's just subconsciously. I, I don't think about it. I don't pick it up going, I need, I'm going to need a napkin later. You know, the kid's snotty nose. I'm like, oh, I have one right here. You know, if, if you know, you clean a little mess. Oh, oh, I got something to clean that up right there. And the next thing I know, it's back in my hand. And, I, and a lot of times, if you've, if you've been at a lunch with me or something, I'll be sitting there well after dinner and there's a, there's a paper towel or a napkin just wrapped up in my hand and I'm just doing it like that. So when I saw this picture, I was like, what? That's why I do. My, my father, my earthly father does not do that. But it was, it was what? Inherited. Is in my nature. So I saw that picture. I was like, I do that too. Right? And so that's why I've had this in my hand the whole time. And it didn't, didn't hinder me. And some of you are like, what in the world? Why, why, what does he have in his hand? Does he have a growth or something? Okay. So it's in your nature. We behave according to our nature, right? But we also, listen, our behavior is also in our nurture. Right? Well, that's just the way I am. That might be true, but what nature are you nurturing? So if you got sinful nature, or if, if you do, which I think that nature died when you came to Jesus, but if you nurture a nature and resurrect that nature, and you nurture that nature, that's the nature that's going to be dominant in your life. So you need to nurture your supernatural nature. Come on. But this is the way. <laughs> so this is, this is the way it works. Because you don't nurture that nature by striving. Or working real hard or being real diligent or disciplined. 
we first believe, then we belong, now we can behold, then we start to become like him, and we start to behave like sons and daughters. Listen, if you want to act like a son or daughter of God, then you have to believe, you have to belong, you have to behold, and then you can become like him, and then you will start behaving. But it doesn't come out of your striving. How does it happen? By spending time with him. By spending time with him. I have, you know, uh, my, my 10-year-old, almost 11-year-old son, Judah, you know, he's, he's getting to that age where I'm, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with him. So I have these, you know, little, like, quirky things that I do, you know, and... Um, I know I didn't have to tell you that, and, uh, but I, 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 you know, have these little, like, kind of sarcastic things that I do, and, uh, and so I was thinking about, you know, so Leslie will, will say, uh, hey, babe, when we're at the store, remind me to get the bread, and I'll, and I'll look over at her, and I'll say, hey, babe, when we get to the store, make sure and get the bread, right? So I just do little, like, little, like, playful things like that all the time. So Judah starts doing stuff like that all the time now. He'll, he'll say little, like, things like that. And what, the first time he did it, I looked over there at him. I was like, and he's like, that's something you would say. And he was, like, super proud of that. Why? Why? Because, because we spend time together. It's not because I said, Judy, you need to be like that. You need to be playful and just a little sarcastic. No. It's because we spend time together. Because we're family. And listen, that is the way it works. That is the way it works living for God. You spend time with God if you want to be like God. So it speaks of our identity. That ring speaks of our identity. But listen, it also speaks of our authority. So you know who you are, but let me, let me tell you what you can do. Because we belong to God, what belongs to God belongs to us. Listen, if God's got it, we pray that, we, we say that sometimes, well, you know God's got it. Well, if God's got it, you got it. If it belongs to God, it belongs to you. Because if we are under his authority, then we carry his authority. See, the estate belongs to you. When you came home and that ring was put on your finger, it was saying this estate belongs to you. You're a son, and you also can steward everything in the house. Because we are his kids, we have rights to everything in the house. We have refrigerator rights. You don't come over to my house and go through my refrigerator and pantry. You don't get to do that. But my kids, they don't have to ask. They just do it. Why? Because they're part of the house. You know, after you come over a couple of times, it's cool. Just don't, don't, need, don't need our midnight Oscar, right? The kids don't have to go, Dad... Um, I, I want some light in my room. Can I go turn the lights on? Well, no, of course not. They have rights to everything in the house. Listen, the whole estate, the whole kingdom belongs to you. Well, it's God's kingdom. That's right. It sure is. And you're a son and you're a daughter. And everything in the kingdom belongs to you. Remember what the dad told uh, the, the older son? Remember he gets all frustrated. He's like, mm. Wasted everything. It took money. You're as good as dead. He comes home and you have this big party for him. And the dad says this. Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. Other words, you could have gone in and got the robe anytime you wanted. You could have killed the fattened calf anytime you wanted. 
The problem was is that son was acting like a slave even though he lived in the house. He was acting like an orphan too. I love Luke chapter 12, verse 32. This is a great verse for you to memorize. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hit the kingdom. All of it. What does kingdom mean? King's domain. Everything that God has dominion over. That sounds like dominion theology. It is. I don't even know what that means, but it is dominion theology. The king's dominion. It's my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give it all to you. I mean, Jesus paid pretty high price for it. Why would he want you to be in lack? Galatians chapter 3. We've been digging in here. I would encourage you to dig in there. Camp out Galatians 3, 4 this week. If you don't know what to read in your Bible, read that. Well, then what? Read it again. And just read it, read it, read it. Read Romans 8. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to go into chapter 4. Before this faith came, the one that we're talking about today, we were held prisoners by the law. Locked up until faith should be revealed. So when the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, some translation says was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So Christ, so the old ways you were justified by works, by the law, and Christ were justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Not through your performance, through your faith, believing. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, no black, no white, no brown, no American, no Asian, no Middle Eastern, no African, no Asian. No Republican. No Democrat. Tell you what, I have, a, I have, a, have a, a strong opinion about how people that wear their politics on their sleeves, but they don't wear their faith. This is, Brother Davis, this is all about nationalism. This is all about this great country. How about it's all about Jesus? How about you just get consumed and obsessed by Jesus? That will bring some change. Not your awareness to how great our nation is, because it's not really that great in case you haven't checked lately. And it's probably not great because people haven't walked in their identity as sons and daughters. If you belong to Christ, believing, belonging, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Now, Abraham, why do we talk about Abraham? We're all the children of Abraham. Well, that makes sense. Well, Abraham is the apostle, kind of the apostle, if you will, of faith. He's a pioneer of faith, that, that, that he was justified, Scripture says this, by his faith. He was an image of what the new covenant looks like. And it wasn't working, so Moses showed up with the law. And so the reason why he's saying, well, go, go back to Abraham, is because the law was kind of this system that was set up in order to bring Jesus on the scene. It was to preserve the children of Israel, all this kind of stuff, to, to, to set the stage for Jesus to come in. That's what the law was there for. So, it, so let me continue, and then we'll get into that a little further. What I'm saying is this. As long as an heir is a child, he's no different than a slave. Well, that's kind of weird. Although he owns the whole estate, so he owns it, but he's acting like a slave. 
Well, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, what is it talking about there? Okay. Especially people with money back in those days, they would have what they would call like a guardian or a schoolmaster or a teacher. They all kind of different names, same role of someone that would basically raise their kids. So from the time they were born, they would have a lot of times it would be a person that was one of their servants or it would be a person that was a family member. They'd come in and they would watch the children. So the children were raised not by their parents, but by this guardian until they are of age, okay? They, they trained them in life and etiquette and manners and education and discipline. They took care of all that kind of stuff. And when they got a certain age, then they could have a relationship with the parents. It was very proper. So what he's saying here is he says, listen, the law was a guardian, listen, to preserve you until Christ came. Are you tracking? So also, when we were children, we were under slavery, under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under that system, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive full rights. Everybody say full rights. Full rights as sons. So we're not under a tutor. We're under the Father. Full rights. How much? Hold up. I mean, like real full rights as sons, like everything in the house. Yes. The kingdom. Because you, are son, because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Now, we're going to talk about a spirit of slavery next week. But listen, you're an heir, not an error. An heir. Now, now why does the scripture say sons and not daughters? Well, understand this. When Scripture was written in this culture, in this age, how many know that, that sometimes in Scripture there's things that are described and sometimes there are things that are prescribed, right? There's some things that you're supposed to do and some things it's just making an observation. So it's connecting with the culture. In that culture, at that time, a son, not a daughter, because a daughter would marry another son and inherit that inheritance with that son. So in that culture, in that time, what would happen is the son, the firstborn son, would get, ha- get double portion of the inheritance. And then the rest would go to the other sons. Also, the oldest son would be the one who would come in and oversee the whole estate. If something happened to the dad or dad retires or whatever, he goes out of the scene and he steps up. But it says this, that we are all, that's the reason why we're sons. So girls, sorry, guys, we get to be the bride of Christ. Girls, you get to be sons of God. Okay? So in the sense, sonship is authority. Authority over the estate. Are you tracking? So it's not a gender thing. It's a position thing. Okay? So you have full identity as a son that, that we talked about and the authority as a son. You're over the estate. Dang it, that's good news. So when we speak of inheritance, and also get this, when we speak of inheritance, we're not speaking of what's coming when someone dies in the new covenant because somebody already died. That's good news. He already died. The inheritance is now. How many know that you can be a son and still live in the estate? 
So basically what's happened is just being passed on. When you, when you die, you'll still be part of the kingdom, but you're part of the kingdom now. You're not getting, listen, you're not getting partial kingdom now, different kingdom now. It's the same kingdom. You'll make the transition. There will be an inheritance then, yes, but there is also an inheritance now. You live in the house now. Listen, and your inheritance is this, beloved, wholeness. That's your inheritance. Well, health and wealth gospel, yes. Send the emails. Our inheritance is wholeness. That sounds like prosperity gospel. I don't know what you call it. I call it the gospel. I'm definitely not going to subscribe to the poverty gospel. People seem to like that. Well, when you're, when, you're, when you're a slave or an orphan, you like that. But I'm a son. I'm a son of the royal king of the stinking universe. What? You know. It's its wholeness. That word salvation in the Greek is sozo. Everybody say sozo. Sozo means to save, deliver, protect, heal, preserve, save, do well, be whole. Or be made whole. God wants you whole. Complete. Scripture says we are complete in Christ. Already. We must come into alignment with our inheritance. We need to come into alignment with our inheritance. It's already in you. The kingdom is in you. It's already within reach. What does that look like? Check it out. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected. Somebody already died. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turn our backs on him and look the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. But verse 4, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we, through his troubles, were Punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. Wholeness, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means physical health. Physical health. How I many know oh, God wants you healthy? Right? Some of you are unhealthy because you eat too much. Some of you are unhealthy because something happened to you, genetic. But you're not unhealthy. And oftentimes this is why we pray. Well, if it's God's will, he'll heal me. Hey, let, let, me, let me tell you something. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 10. Remember what he prayed? He said, when you pray, pray like this. Lord, that your will be done. Lord, if it's your will, that's not what he prayed. He said, let your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Last time I checked, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no headaches, no backaches. Come on, no eye problems, no ingrown toenails, none of that. None of that in heaven. No cancer. No HIV in heaven. 
So when we pray, we pray that that kingdom that should be manifesting on the earth would be manifesting in our body. Every person that went to Jesus for healing got healed. Every single one. Every one. Physical health. I love what Rod Parsley says. He says this, if Jesus didn't want to heal you, he wouldn't have. You are already healed. If you got sickness in your body, just say that I'm healed. I'm healed. Say it again. I'm healed. I'm healed. First Peter 2.24, have been healed. By his stripes, you have been, past tense, healed. So don't pray like this. Oh, God, please, please heal me. Please heal me. Pray like this. Jesus, I thank you that you paid the price for my healing. I thank you, Lord, that I am a demonstration of your glory. So, Lord, what we're asking is for healing to be made manifest in my body. You said we would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare this body to line up. Listen, how can, how can you delegate what is not in your possession? Physical healing. Number two, I'm not mad. I'm, I'm passionate about it. I'm like, oh, come on. Number two, emotional health. Well, it's because I have a chemical. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really care what, what, what the reason. It's because I was abused. I'm so sorry that happened. But God wants you to be whole. Wholeness. Completeness. Listen, Romans 14, 17. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom. Righteousness, that's pretty easy for us, right? Oh, I just believe the Lord. I'm righteous. What, what, about, what about peace? You need peace? Yeah, it's just, it's just hard. Yeah, peace. You don't get peace because there's no difficulty. You have peace because he's there. I, I need, I need, I, I'm just struggling with depression or discouragement. You need the joy of the Lord, don't you? Yeah, absolutely, man. I need the joy of the Lord to overwhelm me. Then get, get overwhelmed by the joy of the Lord. Sing out. Sing out, old barren woman. Just sing out. Begin to sing for your joy. Begin to shout for your joy. Begin to declare your joy because the kingdom is in you. And in the kingdom, there's no depression. In the kingdom, there is, there is, there is no more jacked up psychological issues in your life. There's freedom from that. I'm not condemning you. I'm trying to free, liberate you to see what, what is rightfully yours because of the cross. Isaiah 61, beauty instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That's for you. That's kingdom. That's what Jesus came for. And number three is economic health. Uh-oh. I'll talk about money. The reason why we're so bothered when people talk about money is because money's got us. Listen, in those days, only wealthy people could wear rings. It wasn't common. Way less common than it is now. You couldn't get on eBay and buy you a $2 silicone ring or anything like that, right? What does economic health mean? Does that mean that you have a, a truck with a hot tub in the back? Man, that would be awesome, but maybe. What it really means is this, no more lack. No more debt. Some of you are like, oh, God's just going to eliminate my debt. The way he might eliminate your debt by giving you a J-O-B so you can go out there and work and partner with him and be a good steward on the earth and eliminate that debt. He might, he, might want, he might want to work with you to do these th- things. You understand? You understand? Listen, no more poverty spirit. My God, 
Oh, I love this. I love the way it starts off. It just preaches. You need to memorize Philippians 4.19 if you don't. My God. And you just say that. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And when you, we read that, you say, my God. <laughs> just like that. You're saying, my God will supply all my needs according to your paycheck, according to your job, according to how you were raised. Nope. According to his riches and glory. What is his riches and glory? The kingdom. The kingdom is his riches and glory. No more lack in your life. Well, how do I get there? Will you be faithful? You be a good steward? And you remove that poverty spirit. Leslie and I had an awesome opportunity. Five years ago, we, we got invited to go to a Rangers game and sit in one of those, like, real expensive box seats. I don't even know how much it costs. We just got invited because someone knew a player. And, you know, and so we got up there, and we were, like, we were, we were two, um, two suites down from George Bush's suite. We were, like, we walked in, and we're, like, you know, am I supposed to, like, take my shoes off? <laughs> like, what, what, what is going on here? This is weird. They're, like, bringing food and serving food. And, we, and Leslie, not so much, but I was, like, oh. I was being so, like, goofy and just weird. And I was just, you know, I, I, honestly, I just I felt a little unworthy of it. That's really what it was. And so I was just kind of acting just kind of goofy. Oh, it was pretty wild. You know, being, you know, all that. And everybody else was kind of like, you know, they're just enjoying it. And I couldn't enjoy it because I was just, like, so, like, overwhelmed by the enormity of it. And then we've never been experiencing anything like this. And blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and listen, it's good to be grateful. I'm not talking about that. We were just, I was just acting kind of foolish. And so I got home that night, and I was laying in bed, and I was thinking about how I was acting. And I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, why did I act that way? Why was I being so silly? And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, because that's an orphan spirit inside of you. Because you don't think you're worth that. Listen, when somebody gives you money and you avoid them, somebody blesses you and you avoid them, that's probably a orphan spirit inside there saying that I'm not, not fit for anything, not worthy of anything. Could be a poverty spirit, right? Listen, why would God expect you to be generous without giving you the means necessary to be generous? You can't be generous if you don't got no money. We all want somebody to be generous to us, but our heart should be to be generous to other people. But how, how can we get to the point to where we can be generous? So that when we invite somebody to go to lunch with us after church because we want to hang out, we can, t- we can get the bill. Or if they talk about, man, they have, these, have you seen this cool thing on Amazon? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the next thing they know, it shows up on their doorstep two days later because you bought it for them. How cool would that be if you could be generous like that? Most of us, in our mindset, we go, that would be cool if that happened to me. Orphan mindset. I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, I'm growing, I'm learning, but, but I want to get to the point where I'm, I'm seeing myself as a steward of blessing. Listen, you got to have it before you can give it. For we know, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor. Look, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. I know you want to, that people have never shared that verse with you before. Listen, it is not about possession. Beloved, listen, get this, all of it. Healing, health, all of it. None of it is about possession. It's about delegation. It's about having it. Yeah, great. I can enjoy it, but it's really about giving it away. 
Because just like Joseph in, in Genesis chapter 41, if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph worked his way all the way up to Potiphar's house. Potiphar was like the king of the land. And, he, and, he, and Potiphar took off his ring and he put it on Joseph's finger. And he said, everything in the land, you're to steward. This is what God has done in our life through Jesus. He said, here it is. Here's the kingdom. Now you steward it. Now, that's why Jesus said, you go lay hands on the sick and they recover. That's why he said, you go lay hands on. You do what I've been doing. I showed you how to do it. Now go do it. That's the kingdom. We have authority to govern his realm. He's in charge of the product. We're in charge of the distribution.